0: Hey, fellow brain pickers, how would you like to get featured as a guest on multiple podcast shows like this one and get massive exposure? My company getfeatured.com will get you featured on targeted shows, will design you a custom bio page, pitch you to the host, prepare you for the shows and promote you so you get even more brand exposure. Head over to getfeatured.com to get major publicity for your brand.
1: Welcome to the Can I Pick Your Brain podcast, where successful entrepreneurs get their brains picked so you can apply mindset tricks and game-changing tactics that will help you become unstoppable. Now, here's your host, Daniel Geffen.
0: Hey, fellow brain pickers, and welcome to episode 104 of Can I Pick Your Brain. My guest today was arrested at the age of 11 His mom called the cops and asked them to take him away. After getting kicked out of his foster home, he was sent to a group home where he was introduced to drugs at the age of 13. He stole a car whilst drunk and high and almost got into a gunfight with the cops. He ended up in jail and that would have been the end of the story, except someone believed in him. That spark of belief turned his life around, and Dan Martell went on to build five successful technology companies, hired over 500 people, raised millions in venture capital, and invested in over 30 companies. He has been fortunate enough to have been mentored along the way by many of his friends, including the founders of Airbnb, Dropbox, Uber, Hootsuite, and even Sir Richard Branson. And now, to help introduce him, I've put together a short rap. Here goes. This is a story of a man named Dan who had no plans, so he ran and ran, destined for a short lifespan. speed, racing, cops chasing, jail cells he found himself pacing, but one man taught him the key to embracing, from solitary confinement to personal refinement, belief set him free, now he leverages ADHD, speed of light is his super might, mediocrity is his kryptonite, he's on a mission to set things right and help ignite, never giving up the fight, you can only keep what you give away, so helping others is now how he spends his day, and now without further delay, here to share his journey through hell, I welcome to you the one and only. Dan Martell, Dan, welcome to the show and thanks for letting me pick your brain.
1: What's up, Daniel, man? Holy! Talk about an intro. That that, uh, that literally is the best uh, (laughs) way I've ever come on a podcast, on a stage. Uh, I just got to thank you uh, for that and uh, just really appreciate the opportunity to be on here.
0: Are you kidding me? For sure, man. And I'll put some background uh, music to that as well. So uh, I'll send you that when it goes live Um, so I really want to dig deep because you've got a crazy story here and I feel like there's like tons of gold that we can uh, mine out so let's start with the fact that your mum called the cops on you when you were 11 I want to like back up to that point in your life because that that's crazy like what, what was you know
1: it, yeah it, it, it is um until you understand the context i mean the, the challenge with me is i think when i was about eight i got diagnosed with adhd mm-hmm. and i just you know i've always had kind of an anger issue and you know years of therapy made me realize kind of where that came from but um you know i was i was just an out of control kid i mean really uh, I, you know, looking back on things, I, I don't know what I would have done if my kids acted the way that I did. Right. And, it, and not <laughs> again, not like over the year I've learned like it wasn't because there's was something wrong with me. I just, you know, I knew that when I acted out, my mom had to call my dad and he mm-hmm. was in sales. He was always on the road and he would have to come home to help her out. Like he would drive three or four hours straight, you know, if I got bad enough. And mm-hmm. it was weird how I never, it took me until I was like in my teens to connect those two things. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, they just, they pretty much said we can't, we can't deal with them anymore. You but know, Dan, somebody's going to have take...
0: I've got four kids, okay? So my oldest is, he's like the sweet, easygoing, you know, typical, nice nine-year-old. But my seven-year-old, he's insane. Like, he's literally, he's for sure got ADHD. He bounces around. He, like, he's very... He's got a superpower. Yeah, he's diff But the thing awesome. is, I would never kick him out of my house. And it... it I, he's, he hasn't done anything that bad that I can imagine. A mother of a child yeah. kicking them out of the. I mean,
1: I mean, calling the cops. The, the night that it, yeah, yeah. The night that it happened, essentially, I threatened to burn the house down while they were all sleeping. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> were, you, were you serious? At the time, you know, I, I don't, I don't know, man. I was so like, you li- have you ever? I don't know. Some people don't understand this, but I used to get so angry that I would sometimes, like, black out. You Why what are you so, like, angry. so angry? What, what
0: <laughs> caused the anger? Like, what was it that made you so angry?
1: I'm not feeling paid attention to, frustrated with the circumstance. I mean, you know, my mom was an alcoholic and, you know, said and did some things that that she probably shouldn't have done. And, you know, um, I don't know. I just I, – I had a lot of anger, and I think, you know, I just – kept pushing the boundaries of how far I would go from, you know, running away. Like literally, you know, you like Mm -hmm. your kids threaten to run away and you're like, go. Yeah. I actually would leave. Like I would, I would leave, I would run away in the middle of the night in the middle of winter with no shoes on and no clothes and like (laughs) suck it up, like go into the woods and just sit there and be like, I'll show them. So by the time it got to that point, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I don't blame them one bit. Like, I wouldn't feel safe for the rest. of You know, I have three brothers and sisters yeah. or two other brothers and a sister. Like, you know.
0: So she calls the cops. The cops show up at your door. You're 11 years old. Like, what, what can they do already? What do they do to you?
1: Well, they, they put you, there's a thing called the crisis center, which is essentially a place where they bring, you know, they have like adult and, and juvenile ones. And I went yeah. to the juvenile one and it's, it's, you know, it's for, for kids that hurt themselves. It's for kids that threaten to kill themselves. it's yeah. You know, and, and essentially on lockdown, 24 hour supervision, um, no sharp knives, all that, you know, you know, stuff. Mm-hmm. And you know, they talk to you and they try to assess you. And I think I spent about two weeks there. Okay. And, um, you know, eventually got let into school where they felt comfortable enough. Okay, well, he's going to go to school, but we got to tell the school to keep an eye on him, et cetera. And um, and then I got transitioned into uh, a group home. Well, or, hold on before, uh, sorry, before the yeah,
0: before that, you went to a foster home. A guy named Dave, I believe his name was.
1: Yeah, yeah, I was Dave. his first uh, foster kid. I think his last. I know. <laughs> I know <for laughs> fact it's his last. Years yeah, well, later, I found. Him.
0: I don't blame him F- because. Say that again. You, you met him a few few years later?
1: Yeah, when I was like 21, I, I found him and I apologized.
0: Really? Well, let's talk um, about that for a second because our listeners, I don't know if they know your story, uh, but you actually, you lit up fireworks in his living room?
1: <laughs> again, no, that was, th- these are all like the end of this, like what happened. Okay, I mean, yeah. it does like,
0: <laughs> right. yeah,
1: uh, it started <laughs> off with convincing him to get me a slingshot, to <laughs> smashing all the, I mean... I don't know if people have ever, like, grew up with one of those kids in their neighborhood that was just, like, there was no filter for what they would do. Mm-hmm. Like, that was me. Like, literally, if I thought that would be cool to, you know... Uh, I remember one time, uh, you know, filling up a super soaker, which is a squirt gun, full yeah. of gas.
0: And oh, my it, like, God.
1: Squirt stuff, lighting them on. Like, I mean, Jesus. there was no finding my dad's twenty-two rifle and deciding, you know, at years old we're gonna go in the woods and start shooting stuff like really you know building smoke bombs Uh, i mean it was we were we were pretty menacing and um yeah and then what happened is you know dave i convinced dave we were going camping one time and we were driving by this store uh, on the way to the campground i knew they sold fireworks i i convinced him that it would be a a really fun thing for us and like try to act like a little innocent kid and he bought them, and then I pretended like I really didn't even give a crap about lighting them off so that I knew that we'd have them in the house. Mm-hmm. And one day, he left me for a couple hours at the house and went and ran some errands, and I found them and started. I thought, this is my, my idea. I was like, well, <laughs> if, I could, if I could cut off the bottom 20%, like he's not going to notice how long they were <laughs> um, because he's not a fireworks guy. Right. And I sat there in the living room with, you know, uh, you know, butcher knife and newspaper all over the place and a candle to kind of reseal things and some duct tape. Um, duct and tape. I was, yeah, duct tape. I just, you know, duct tape always feels to, it always fits in the plant. It's, <laughs> yeah, it's like it the catch all. <laughs> like No matter what you get, it's the catch all. And, uh, you know, I would think I was about an hour into it and I turned around and accidentally hit the candle into the pile of kind of overflow gunpowder, you know, oh firework God. powder. And it lit the whole thing on fire because it, it blew up on the the newspaper I'd laid down. And oh it was like 4th of July going off in his house. I mean, there <laughs> was literally Roman candle shots going. And I ran into the kitchen because he showed me <laughs> where this little dinky fire extinguisher was. And I'm like, come in the living room. I'm like, I'm going to put it out. And like, <laughs> I don't know where, where my brain didn't connect. Like there's no fire technically at this point. It's just these little like st- like, you know, fireballs you know, <laughs> searing into the couch and into the bookshelf and all over the place. Oh, gosh. And, uh,
0: you wrecked yeah. this place. It.
1: it I, I just remember, like, I would love to say the dust settled. It didn't because it, was, <laughs> oh, it filled. <laughs> I, just, I just realized I got to pack my suitcase or my backpack and, and go, and I ran away.
0: So how old were you at this point?
1: Uh, I would have been 12.
0: 12? Oh, my goodness. Okay, so you're 12 years old. You just basically completely wrecked this guy's home who took you in and i mean was he a good was he a good father
1: he was he he wasn't i mean he was you know he you know i I mean i think he was like 42 never had kids thought he'd give back Hmm. um unfortunately i was his first kid um right he was a good dude the problem with dave is that he was he was trying to be a buddy Hmm. and you know what i've learned and what i do for my two boys now is I give them structure. Like my my love is unconditional, my approval is not. And mm-hmm. no matter, you know, uh, I think that that we thrive in in kind of like here's, you know, it's like playing playing any game. It's like I need to know where the the, the how to score. I need to know where the players are. And if you just let a you know a young kid just like. Do it. I mean, the first time we go grocery shop, and he says, "What do you eat?" And I'm like, "Pop tarts and hot dogs," <laughs> and he's like, looks at me with one of those looks, and I go, "It's true. Call my mom. I, I only eat chocolate pop tarts <laughs> and hot dogs with ketchup." And he was like, "I guess so." And $200 <laughs> later, we walked out of the grocery store, and oh, like, goodness. I mean, I knew I had him as soon as he did that, and then like convincing him that we should get a slingshot so we could like go to the you know the archery range and practice right. together as a bonding exercise. I mean, it was. Absolutely the opposite of what I needed, and um, and that's what happened.
0: So and you ran the, away, yes. and then he called the cops, and then they they found you, right?
1: Yeah, they found me. Um, I think I ran away on a Saturday morning is when it happened, mm-hmm. and uh, they found me Monday night at a friend's house.
0: And at one point, it got so bad that you actually stole a car and got into some police chase, and then there was like, this, you, you had a gun on you? I mean... Tell us about that. Yeah, I
1: mean, I just, I just want to just frame everything like I'm, you know, I don't condone, I don't like, I don't tell these stories to like highlight.
0: No, I, I get that. You I know wanna, what I mean? Like, I'm I just, building, I just, yeah, I'm building a picture yeah. here for our audience because for sure, we're gonna get. You know, to the I was, point- I was a
1: dr- at the time drug addict, um, emotionally depressed, didn't want to live, um, was running from the police. Literally, I never thought. Really, from the time I you know, it was 12, 13 that I would live past, you know, 19. Uh, at the time, I think I was 16 years old. Uh, and yeah, I just, um, I had done a break and enter in a house and stole a bunch of guns and my oh, mom account. found them at, under my bed and called the police. And my brother calls me up and says, you can't come home. The police are waiting for you. And uh, I go and I go hide for like three or four weeks in, in my hometown and eventually I realize I can't stay there so I steal a car and you know at the time I was selling drugs so I was you know drinking a lot and doing drugs and decided I'm gonna leave from eastern Canada to kind of the west coast and on the way um, I took a wrong turn got on the highway almost ran out of gas so I was pulling over to get some gas and there was a routine roadblock with uh, with some police and I said to myself oh my prior God. yeah that if um, if the car cop- you know, find me or whatever. That I'm. That I'm going to pull the gun I had in a in a book bag next to the car seat, a handgun, and let them do their job.
0: What do you mean let and them do their job? You mean you were going to shoot at them and then let them shoot back at you?
1: I was just going to pull the gun and let them do their thing. I don't know if I would have pulled the trigger, but I was going to point the gun. Holy
0: shit. You had no fear. Like one thing I'm noticing about you is you had zero fear, or, or maybe you had fear, but you just didn't care. Like
1: I think going- what I didn't have was any appreciation for my life i didn't value myself at all
0: or anyone else for that matter right
1: i i you know i i don't know it's it's a weird thing like i actually did care about other people i guess i just well you stole someone's you stole, know,
0: someone's, like you wrong, stole that, someone's car right and you went in and yeah, robbed some- i
1: mean i never planned on burning it you know and it's like it's funny <laughs> like i rationalized myself like i'm just going to leave it wherever i go right. and then they'll get the carpet <laughs> you know like i never thought like I'm going to blow this thing up so they don't find my fingerprints. Like I was going to like wipe it down (laughs) and leave it there and call the police and say, Hey, there's a stolen car. I I don't know. Like I just, and that's the thing. Like I always, you know, over the years and, um, I I was bad, but there was just a part of me that felt like I'm not evil. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? Yeah. So I just, no fear for sure. Literally like people's line of what's, you know, where they should stop. Mine, mine was, was not even close. And, uh, and so they, yeah, the So you ran into the into s- side of a house. Yeah. You,
0: so what happened? So, so the police were chasing you. You had the gun. Did they you at the roadblock? Yeah, road I thought if I
1: could get to the woods fast enough that I could kind of run in and hide and uh, I came into this neighborhood and I saw an open garage door and figured, you know, they were far enough back that maybe I could kind of pull in the garage, close the door and um they would kind of keep going and I came around the corner way too fast, hit into the side of the house and Pull, uh, pulled on the handgun and uh, it got stuck. And what do you I mean you pulled the on the handgun? So the
0: police are right there. You've got a gun in your in your bag.
1: Yeah, it was in um like a little you know like those like like canvas bags. Yeah, you know back in high school, they had, like little you know green gray you know whatever canvas bag, and mm-hmm. it was uh, a revolver handgun. And when I reached in to pull it, it got stuck on kind of the string. Oh gosh! And oh. I kept pulling on it and pulling on it. And uh, eventually the do- door opened. The cops kind of, you know, unbuckled me and grabbed me, and my feet didn't even touch the ground. And um, wow, I woke up sober the next day in the jail cell.
0: And then you got put in and then you- um, solitary confinement, right?
1: Uh, at first I went to, I went to, I, I ended up, you know, obviously there's like a process for kind of like going to jail and then arraignment and, and eventually getting sentenced, but mm-hmm. I ended up getting sentenced to uh, adult jail for the severity of my crimes. This was the second time I'd been to jail at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and yeah, and then I got, I the solitary confinement thing that happened, um, about three months in over a cup of coffee of all things. A cup of coffee. Uh, a cup of fucking coffee, man. Coffee. <laughs> what happened? Uh, well, the thing, I mean, if you ever watch those jail movies, you know, Orange and New Black, like there's yeah. a certain kind of attitude you got to have. And, you know, we it was one of those things because we were juveniles, we actually ate breakfast outside of our jail cells in the mm-hmm. morning. So um, we're sitting there and having coffee and, and food and whatever. And, um, you know, this kid, Kurt, grabs the coffee pot. And like Kurt was one of those, those kids in high school you, you, you may have had that had like an eight pack. Like was like, you know, a teenager that was like fit like a human man, um, like a muscle. Yeah. And he's just like, you know, who took the last coffee? And I was like, fuck, it was me. And I knew that other people knew it was me. And the last thing you want to do is act scared. Right. So I said, me, and? And then that was that. Kurt stood up. I stood up. And um, yeah, we got thrown into solitary confinement, which at the time, d- you don't know how long you're going to be in there. They don't really tell you a whole lot. It's 23 and a half hour lockdown in your underwear, lights on, you know, the whole time. And they let you out for 30 minutes a day to get some fresh air and this concrete square that, you know, there's nobody else around. It's literally like a pen. And um, do you remember what you were thinking it, in
0: that in that room all alone for 23 hours straight? I mean, tons of stuff. Did you ever think you could get I mean, out of it? Uh, Did you ever think maybe I can I'm, get I out of never
1: it? thought I could escape the prison, no.
0: No, I no. meant change that your one. life, like turn your life around and just, yeah. and just, no. I was
1: just thinking, like, maybe I can give them to get me a book so time would fly by faster. And, <laughs> you know, uh, it would be nice if they gave me some pants or. <laughs> wow. I don't know, like, no, it was, it was not. So at what point? My life
0: I guess at what point? did that did things change how do you go like you know
1: yeah so what happened is on the third day the door opens and there's this guard named brian and he'd been there i think about nine years at the time he kind of a younger dude and he was always kind of like the cool guard you know he was he was definitely not a dave he wasn't a pushover but you know if you were good to him you know he'd look the other way if you were you know playing video games longer or you know lights are on longer than they should have been or whatever like he was he was kind of like you respect him he'll respect you Mm -hmm. and he opens the door and he just goes like what are you doing and i was i just shook my head because i was kind of you know i i knew i I, i'd screwed up right because he was good and he he wanted me to do well and get out early and whatever and obviously i i messed that up and um he told me to follow him and i gives him my clothes get, get dressed up and i'm following him down the hallway. And uh usually you turn right into the cell block, but there's this like guard unit that kind of overlooks two cell blocks on the corner. Mm-hmm. And we walk past the door to go in and into this guard unit. And he asked me to sit down in the corner and I'm sitting there and there's nobody else around just him. And he kind of looks at me and he asks me, like, what are you doing here? And I'm <laughs> like, you know, well, I you know, got in a fight with Kurt and he goes, No, not not that. He goes, What are you doing here? And I'm like, you know, in jail? And it's like, Yeah. And I go, Well, you know, i stole a car and, you know, got high speed chase. And he goes, not that he goes. And then he just said, like, you know, I've been watching you for the last few months. You do your homework. You try to stay out of the politics. um, You keep to yourself. Like, I, I just want you to know, Dan, that I've been here for a long time and um, you don't belong here. And that was the first time as a 16 year old that anybody in my whole life had ever said that to me.
0: I mean that like someone and cared? Someone actually cared about you?
1: Not only did they care that they believed that I wasn't bad. You know, my parents cared. Right. But I don't know. Like I almost felt like they thought I was fucked up. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Wow. He, he pretty much looked at me in a way that he believed in me more than I ever even had a glimpse of believing in myself. And it, and it hit me at my core. And I got super emotional and he didn't say another word. And that was the moment that I said, you know what? I think Dave's right. And I'm going to start making better decisions. You mean Brian? Yeah. Sorry, Brian.
0: (laughs) So what was the first decision you made that was positive?
1: I think it was just like, you know, just not like, even though I was in that environment, like not acting like I had to be like, you know what I mean? I should have just said, I did, I'm sorry, Kurt, and and deal with the the mockery. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. you know, ego got in the way. I think it was just like this, this, this humbleness of saying, you know what, I could get involved in these things, but it's just not worth it. You know, and like, instead, I'm just going to find a way to, you know, kind of do my time uh, without getting involved in you know, luckily a few months later I got released to a a therapeutic community called portage rehab center. Mm -hmm. Um, like I was still doing time there. It was just kind of a, a a more, um, you know, positive environment. And, uh, and that, that was the transition that, you know, portage saved my life. I'm still very actively involved with that place. Um, I talk to the kids, you know, three or four times a year. It's a big part of my, my kind of, you know, charitable part of my life. And, Mm -hmm. um, so you yeah, went so I mean
0: you went on to then become a, a developer, right? You that's how you started in business, your first entrepreneurship um, I guess. Yeah.
1: I, I well, wrote code. And you said five successful companies. I just and we'll talk about it. The first two are complete failures, right? So we oh, can talk about that in I like yeah that. a lot of people like i always say five companies but you know i usually try to remind them it's like the first two are failures it took me a while to figure it out but yeah i i learned how to you know it was like this one day 11 months into my program i was helping rick the uh the kind of like foreman of the place of portage he's kind of like the handyman that fixes all yeah. the stuff the kids break and uh he asked for some help to clean out one of the cabins that we don't use and in there i found a room with an old computer 486 whatever kind of computer and a book on Java programming. And I opened the book and I, you know, if you've ever looked at JavaScript uh, on a computer, like if you look, you know how websites are built, it it actually reads like English. So (laughs) I'm just like reading this book going like, this is computer programming. I've never touched a computer really. I'm like, I think I can figure, I mean, it and I've always been into biology and math. So I opened the computer up and, you know, loaded up the command line, loaded up the Java executor and just, Wrote my first Hello World app. I mean, you know, that was that was the beginning, and it was just this. It became my new addiction.
0: Wow! And, and what were uh, the first two companies, the ones you said that failed? What what were they? What did they do? And why yeah, did they fail? so
1: the first company was called MaritimeVacation.ca, Vacation um, which was a vacation rental site. Which sounds mm. like an awesome idea. People yeah. are like uh, Airbnb and Airbnb. VRBO vacation. right? I mean, ton of them. And I, this is nineteen ninety eight. Um, okay. I had no clue what I was doing. My dad had a cottage and he kept getting phone calls and just asked me one day if I could build him a web page that he could direct people to. Mm. And I convinced them to give me some money for hosting that was really a lot more than I needed just to cover costs to build an application. And I, uh, and that, so essentially I leveraged my dad's, um, need to fund that company and that website. And, um, You know, that's when I made my first dollar on the Internet, not even through the Internet. It was it was actually through a direct mail campaign I did. um, I mean, these stories are funny as heck, because like I I didn't even want (laughs) to email. I got my little brother Mo to go through this directory of like all the bed and breakfasts in our region and enter them into an access database, Microsoft Access database, and then print off a mail merge um, sending a. Yeah, like it was literally like I didn't even know that was a thing. I'm pretty sure it's illegal. (laughs) <laughs> uh, because they were sending me money back in the mail in cash. Like I said, look, it's thirty dollars for a listing, fill out this survey or this this form and send me three photos that I'll scan in and add to your listing. And if you want your photos back, add an extra five dollars for shipping and handling. And people did it. I mean my dad came home one day with a stack full of envelopes and he was like, What did you do? Wow. And I was like, Holy <laughs> fuck it worked. Like that I was hooked. Like prior to that I built little apps for myself. Mm-hmm. Um but I never really made like a tool that people paid me for. Um, so, the lesson I learned there, why it yeah. didn't work is because I called it maritime vacation, which is a total market size of 200 cottages. And um, I didn't understand anything about business, about building teams and marketing. And the guy at at the who I got to know cause he was running ads on my website uh, ended up crushing me. I mean, you know, better product, better service, better price. Um, so, and you know, truth was I wasn't that passionate about colleges. I did it as, as a way to kind of help my dad and refine my skills. Um, so yeah, that one, that one lasted about a year and then I moved on to the next one.
0: So what was the next one after that?
1: Well, anybody that builds websites for people, they usually get this bug of hosting the websites cause mm-hmm. they want to get paid every month hosting. Yep. Um, so that's what that was. NBhost.com. Um, I thought, all right, what did I learned from the first lesson, I'm going to change a bit. So I got my brother, to do sales because he was more of like a sales dude. He was younger. Yeah. Uh, we each put in, I think, five grand initially. I know that we both eventually ended up with like 10 grand in line of credit or something like that. Um, and I bought all the servers. I bought off the software. And I spent most of my time in the server room supporting. I mean, literally, if you want the worst business model in the world, back <laughs> then anyways, start a hosting company. Right. Um, you're on 24-7 it takes really thousands of customers to make any real money. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I was spending all my time, you know, freezing my butt off in a cold server room, trying to install and configure software for our clients. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, there was no automation. Um, so yeah, we did that for about a year and a half and it really came to a halt when uh, we ended up getting a local credit union bank as a customer. And I think it was like 3000 a month in hosting, mm. but like we had no right whatsoever to be dealing with a bank's website. Like I was okay, but I had no clue about oh security. And yeah. I mean, it was, you know, my brother did such a good job selling. that He got us the deal, but then it's like, Deliverables. we really should do it. Yeah. So it just, it came to a point where I just, I got scared. I'm like, I cannot, we we're going to, we're going to, if anybody figured out that it was me managing this, like we're going right. to get hacked. Right, We're going to get sued um and uh it just wasn't I just didn't love that business at all you know so what was There's the difference guess, between yeah seeing a need and building a company
0: what was your first breakthrough then because these are now like you you, you know you're you're yes, like, dabbling I was, like, in business.
1: 17 vacation 18 then I think it was like 1920 uh NB host and then um, I picked a, I, I packed up my bags. I ended up getting a job. It was the first job I ever got. And the only reason I got the job was because of my experience building those tools. So it kind of like worked out, right? Because it's mm-hmm. like, I have no experience, but these are the things I've actually built. So the company was like, oh, geez, you actually, you know, you can do the whole thing. And I'm like, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, I ended up getting trained on some really specialized enterprise software called tree, which was like this enterprise portal software for big Fortune 500 companies. And they sent me to DC, Greenbelt, Maryland for this training. And I guess I was one of the only certified people in all of Canada. Um and uh you know after 8 months of working at that company, I just realized that I'm 100% unemployable. Um I would argue with everybody. I had an opinion about everything. Mm-hmm. Um I thought everybody was stupid and uh And I just quit and decided to move out west. And, you know, 2011 or 9-11 happened as I was driving. I left like September 9th, 2001. Whoa. Yeah. Yeah. It was crazy. So I thought I was going to get another job and, at West and that went to zero because pretty much every company had a hiring freeze and I couch surfed on my friend's couches for like three months and tried and tried to find something. I almost had to come back because, you know, fiscally I was like, I paid off all my line of credit and my credit cards and I shut them down, So I mm-hmm. do not recommend anybody do that. Um, so I essentially had no money and uh, out of the blue, I got a contracting job making uh, 150,000 a year uh, working for an oil company wow. at 21. How did that happen? Yeah. Um, it, it was a funny story because I don't think the hiring manager looked at the chronological order of my <laughs> resume because if he did, he would have realized that I was probably not old enough to even have any qualification. Like hmm. he just, because of this certification for Plumtree, there was nobody else, right? So I had that effect. But I was also being hired to manage a team of like 30 plus people. Mm-hmm. So you know, that was the thing. I remember, you know, showing up day one, like I'm, I'm in a place called Alberta, Calgary, Alberta, and it's like up North. So I fly in, they're doing a a three day team offsite at the local community college. It's this huge team. I'm managing 30, but there's probably 50 people in the room. Darcy's the manager. And I show up, knock on the door and he comes out and I could tell by his reaction, like, here's this kid. I tried my best. I had like a red flannel shirt, khaki (laughs) pants on. Didn't even have like normal dress shoes. I think they might have been skate shoes. I mean, it was, you know, no, know they were like Clark's, like these really bulky you know, whatever man shoes. And uh, I, I, is, I had accidentally let my buddy give me a haircut, and oh, he screwed God. up so bad. I had to shave my head. I pretty much like it was the <laughs> worst look ever. Um, and uh, he, I could tell by the concerned look on his face. He pulls me outside in the hallway. So like, knocking mm-hmm. the door say hello. I'm Dan. He's like, Oh, comes out in the hallway and he goes, uh, Dan, he goes, it's my bad. I should have asked. I didn't realize you were so young. Most of the people are, you know, 10 years older than you. Hmm. And, you know, I guess the best thing I could say is, uh, let's try this out for two weeks and, and we'll see what happens. And I was like, Oh my God. Like that was the only thing after three months of looking that I got. And, and the thing, the reason why it was really valuable for me was it was a contracting job. Like it wasn't an employee thing. Like they wanted somebody as a, as a external contractor to come in, lead the team, transfer the knowledge and they were going to keep running with it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was so freaked out. I got a library card, went to the library in this place called Fort McMurray uh, got books on project management, consulting, technical architecture, and <laughs> pretty much went to the job during the day. Try not to say anything stupid. Rushed home, would cr- read till midnight, take notes, go back the next day. Again, try not to say anything stupid. Take notes on things that I was hearing that I didn't like. What's an SOW? I was like, what's a? Uh, <laughs> go home. Statement of work. It's like, oh. And then it's like, what's a Gantt chart? It's like, what's a Gantt chart? If I go home. Okay. So like, it was just this game of just trying to stay ahead. And I ended up, I would say that, um, allowed me to grow into the leader and entrepreneur I am today. And Darcy to this day is somebody I message at least once a year. Like he taught me what leadership was like. He was an incredible manager. Hmm. I mean, just like the way he was with people, the way he gave me a chance, even when I messed up, I remember one time about a year into it, um, you know, I was, I, was this, I was younger than most of the interns there. So my friends were the other interns. Wow. And, you know, I don't know if people know what people do at paid intern jobs and, and when they're 500 miles away from home. But on weekends, we really got into it. And so, like, I remember one time I came back on a Monday and all the interns were asking me, like, Dan, I heard this. And I, heard, and I was telling stories. I didn't realize the CTO of the division was in the next office listening to our conversation.
0: Oh, no. Oh, she
1: goes to Darcy's boss kind of gives him the Cole's notes and he he comes in and he goes dan can we speak and i go in his office and he goes i just had my boss ream me out blah 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 it's extremely unprofessional and if this ever occurs in any capacity shape or form unfortunately i'll no longer be part of the team and i was like i feel absolutely stupid and embarrassed but i totally get it you know like i mean he could have been so much harder. He just is like, he was fair and he taught me so much. And, and, you know, to this day, um, it was, it was probably the fastest growing period in my whole life. Right. From zero to a whole new set of skills, managing 35 people. Like it was like, you know, trying to just keep, keep my head above water. It's like a duck. You know, I was ta- my, me and my kids went for a walk nature park yesterday. I was, I was showing, there was ducks and I go, this is, I, I was like, you know what those ducks are doing? What everybody else in the world is doing. They're looking cool on top of the water and underneath they're scrambling for life. You know, like that's <laughs> that's probably what I was like.
0: That's brilliant. So how did you transition then from from I guess being a contractor to then building starting a starting fr- Yeah.
1: What happened is, is so I had this technology that I was certified in called Plumtree, and I kept getting calls from recruiters. As the economy turned back up, people started buying more software, investing in their companies. And I just kept getting these calls, like emails and whatever, because my resumes were all over the job sites. And I just thought to myself, like, you know, if I had 12 of me working for me, and I, you know, they worked for me and I contracted them out, like, I know what I was making. If I even got 20 30% of that, like... Yeah. I wouldn't have to work. Like literally, my job could be getting an email, connecting an interview, and they're off to the races. For I mean, sometimes these con- like I was there for two years, so like these contracts could be multi-year deals. Mm-hmm. And um, and that was the that was the the seed. I actually went to Australia for nine months. Um, that was awesome. And uh, when I got back is when I started my company, sphere Technology. So the thing is, people need to understand is. For, I don't know where this came from, but I've always n- never spent my money in the sense that like, I, I don't say that, like I have, like I spend it, but I've always been in s- some ways frugal. I'm not frugal. Cause like my dad always thought like I'd give away all my money to charity. Like I mm-hmm. literally would walk by, my dad would give me $20 for lunch. We'd walk by a homeless person and I would give him the whole $20 and he really? always like, why did you do that? Yeah. I just, I don't know. I just felt like that's what you do. Like, even as, like, a 9, 10-year-old. And my dad would be like, you needed that for lunch. He told me, and I'm like, you'll give me, you know, you'll give me more. Like, that's the way I thought about it. <laughs> you need to And, uh, so, yes, yeah, so, like, even though I was making 150k a year, I was only paying myself 60, well, And were, I was uh, good with that.
0: What do you mean? Where yeah. was the rest of the money going?
1: Saving. I saved it the whole time. That's why oh, I was wow. able to go to Australia. Yeah, I actually didn't even see it. My the check would come in to my corporate number, and my uh, so it get deposited into my corporation. I would get a salary, so I knew what I was getting in my personal bank account, and I didn't even want the login details for the business bank account. I told my dad to kind of like just you know deal with the taxes, and I had my accountant deal with most of it, Mm -hmm. and uh, I didn't know. I just said, you know, I don't need to see this. I'm good with 60. 60 was, you know, and my living expenses were covered on top of that. So, so really, it was 60K a year to just like spend on, you know, snowboarding trips and downhill mountain bikes. I mean, that's that's plenty. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, that was the seed money that I used to start Sphere Technologies, which, you know, I hired three people day one and grew it to, you know, 30 some staff and, you know, millions in revenue in four years, eventually get acquired.
0: It's incredible. And, and how much did they acquire it for?
1: So it was, most of the transactions I've been involved in, you know, there's kind of like non-disclosure. Oh, um, boy. Okay. What I can say is um, traditional Traditional uh, service companies get sold for about 0. 0.7 on gross revenue, mm-hmm. and we're doing about 3.4 million.
0: 3.4 million? Yeah. Oh, nice. And the two companies that you that scaled 20, up...
1: 20, hmm? And the cool part was is... Um, I became a millionaire when I was 27 because we were making a lot of cash. You know what I mean? Like the business would produce, you know, 30, 40% profit every year. And we were in the millions and I didn't have any partners. Wow. And I didn't spend. I I drove, I drove a 1991. So when I was in Syncrude, I drove a 1987 Jetta. Then Mm -hmm. I upgraded to a 19, oh, it was a 92 silver, um, no, 91. That was a 91. Then I got a 2001 silver hatchback Jetta. That was when I was building Spheric. And I drove that for most of the time. And then on year four, I think I upgraded to a 2009 Morano <laughs> that I bought in the States because of dollars. Like, I've just been a simple dude. Like, you know, just...
0: So you're not really Digital interested businesses. in money, you are not. you're not really, I mean, it sounds like you're just... So well,
1: I look at money, it's about enhancing life experiences, right? So I've just, I've just, I guess, you know, because I came from nothing and nobody really expected a whole lot from me, I don't really give a shit about what people think about me. I don't care about fancy watches or fancy cars and all that. And, and the truth is, is people look at my life today and I do live in a big house and I do have fancy cars, but, <laughs> um, I don't. About those things. I did those because I wanted to go racing. So I got a car that I could go race. And, right. you know, I have a family and kids, and I didn't want to live in an apartment. But when I was living in San Francisco the whole time I built Flowtown, like I lived in San Francisco with roommates. I mean, my, my wife, when she first came to visit me, she thought, she's like, you know, I know Dan sold his last company, but maybe like he didn't do as well. And why did he <laughs> have roommates? And like, right. I just didn't give a crap. Like, I Really it's like, I'd rather pay 800 bucks a month for a place and I have roommates. I was 29 at the time and, you know, have people I can talk to than because I was new to the city, I didn't know anybody, then go spend two grand on a place just by myself. Like I didn't, I wasn't entertained, like it just didn't make sense, right? I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I guess practical in that. But I have so no you, problem spending.
0: So you basically, you sold, you built up the technology companies and then you sold them um, how did you scale up? Like what was, what are some of the, I guess, most important lessons you learned while building and scaling the companies?
1: How did I scale up? A ton of stuff. I would say, um, you know, because of my technology background, I've always been a systems nerd. Um, mm-hmm. I read the book E Myth uh, yep. from Michael Gerber. I'm speaking uh, that with was him. The, I read that yeah. So I read that book before I even started Sphere. A buddy of mine, Corey, recommended it. Binge listened to it on an eight-hour drive. So I listened to his CD, which is Michael Gerber talking about Sarah's Pies, which is just a trip on yep. itself because um, he's such a storyteller. <laughs> and, uh, and, I, and I hired an emith coach even before I had the business. 1500 bucks a month. People like, My dad was like, why would you do that? And I'm like, uh, two failed companies and I don't want to do it again. And I know what I know that I don't know. And when I listen to that book and I think of the methodology and the approach, I want to build a company like that. So if this guy for $1,500 a month is going to get me that, then I'm willing to invest in it. I'm willing to invest in myself. And at that point, you know, probably I'd say a year, two years prior. It wasn't that long prior that I actually read my first book. And then I realized, oh, everything I need to learn are in books, which I <laughs> wish somebody would slap me down and told me. Like I listen, I read computer books, okay? So I read probably – 150 computer books on Java programming and HTML. I never thought of going one aisle down to get one on marketing, team building strategy operations. (laughs) Like it never occurred to me that I should do the same thing for business as I did for learning how to code. And, um, and that, that changed everything. I mean, um, Bob was his name and, uh, I'm pretty sure I was one of Bob's most successful clients. We ended up breaking a million in, in the first year. Wow. And, uh, yeah, and I, I I'll give 100 percent credit to to Bob, um, to Emit. and um, so that was a big thing. So now I teach people how to create systems called playbooks mm-hmm. um, because it's been a it's a core foundation of every business I've built since then.
0: What's a playbook? Uh,
1: a playbook is like what some people call standard operating procedures SOPs or um, you know manual system manuals. Essentially, my idea is you know if. In your business, there's probably things you do that are repetitive that you do the same way every time you, you know, do marketing or you bring a new client on or you monitor a client's happiness okay. or whatever. And I think, you know, and it can start at first, it really should be your kind of administrative tasks, right? So like, how do you do your accounting? How do you do your receivables? How do you do um, invoicing so that you can quickly get other people to support you in that business? Um, but then you want to, I think, HR's usually the place people want to go next because it and most of them are like well i don't have any employees why would i focus on hr Mm systems because the the next thing you should do is hire people and you should have a process (laughs) for doing that um and then you just look at kind of like then it's all revenue driven functions like how do you do marketing how do you do sales how do you do proposals how do you uh, onboard a new client how do you monitor you know what i mean so you build these repeatable scalable systems in a playbook so in my format simple if you if you want i could uh, link up uh something for your audience but yeah Um, it's just a Google spreadsheet that links to each Google doc and each doc is a procedure on the thing that you need to do. And you just link them up all in a spreadsheet. So they're right there. Super simple, super easy to update on your mobile phone. You can use the Google permission to share them around with different team members. They can request Mm. access if they don't. Um, and it has everything and there's three tabs. There's systems, references and templates. And, um, yeah, I've got a whole template thing that I, I usually give to my coaching clients that I can hook you guys up with that, nice. uh, that give you my default templates to get you going.
0: Cool. So for those of you listening, if you want to get uh, that, you can go to danielgeffen.com forward slash 104 at the end of the show, and there'll be a link in the show notes. Um, you know, what's really impressive, Dan, is that you've surrounded yourself with some incredible people, namely the founders of Airbnb, Dropbox, Uber, Hootsuite, and even uh, Richard Branson himself. So how did you manage to build those relationships?
1: I mean, there's a ton of stuff, right? It's not one thing. But if you said, like, where's the starting point, it's it's get around other great people. And I would say that's it. Like, I would have never met, like, Joe and Brian from Airbnb. I met them at a dinner in San Francisco. After I sold my first company, Spheric Technologies, you know, I was 28 at the time. I almost very close in a two month window, almost went to the retired mode and chilled out in my small hometown that I grew up in in Canada, Mm -hmm. like built a new house, bought a cottage, bought a a wakeboarding boat. (laughs) Like, you know, I was going to chill. I was like, I worked my ass off. It's been year years, I was 29. <laughs> Some <laughs> of the things you think about, you just look yeah. back like so dumb. Um, and I don't, you know, I would, I have to give credit to my mentors, like this one guy, Ken Nickerson, um, because it was, it was, I always had kind of software envy, you know, like I'd see all these guys in the Valley cause I was in tech, but I was more like consulting and building custom stuff for big companies. Yep. You know, you'd see all these like cool little apps like base camp and, mm-hmm. um, Uh, fog bugs joel um on software wrote a lot about stuff so i'd always have like software envy and i just i just kept thinking like maybe i should go you know there's no reason i couldn't and uh, one day i just even in the middle of the home build and i just bought all this crap i said packing up my suitcase and my mountain bike and i'm moving to san francisco and i'm just gonna see if any of my crazy ideas might hold water with some of the smartest people there and i just put myself in it and it was uncomfortable and awkward as shit. And like, I would go <laughs> to, my, my strategy was like, I'll go to a new coffee shop every day, two, two coffee shops a day. So I made a list, I did some research. There's 10 coffee shops that all the startup people went to. And I would go to a different one, two different ones a day, morning and then afternoon. And I would just smile and say hi. That okay. was my strategy. That's it, smile and, like, and say hi? <laughs> yeah, and that totally was stupid and bombed. And after three <laughs> weeks, I got. Really good advice. And then I started cold emailing people. I made a list. I, I have this process called the Dream 100, which is like 100 people. It takes a while to, design, to, to research, but essentially it's 30 or 10 mentors. So people have been to where you want to go, 30 peers, or 30 advisors, people that kind of give you um, expertise around areas that you might have a gap in in your, mm-hmm. your business. And then um, 60 peers, and those are people that are at the same level or at least two, two to three years ahead of you. Um, and then I just reached out. So, like Paul Graham, the founder of Y Combinator, you know, one of the top tech, tech accelerators in the world, yep. I just cold emailed. I was like, I just moved here. I'm Canadian and I'm trying to connect with startup people. You know, here's what I'm good at. What are, you, what are your thoughts? You know, short and concise. And he just wrote back this is a perfect email. He goes, Startups need help with marketing. Do that. Because, like, what was happening is I kept talking to these people, and then, and, and here's where I went wrong. They kept asking So, what do you do? My answer was, well, I don't really do anything. I just moved here and I'm trying to figure out what I'm gonna do next. They would literally shut down and turn back to their laptops and keep working. Yeah. Like, there was no that's like sound oh, interesting. They just were like, You're lost. You have no yeah. drive in the world. Like San Francisco has zero patience for people that are not fucking on a path to a billion and <laughs> obsessed with their ideas. Like literally zero. They don't right. even like consulting companies. They they thought Spheric was the, like, why would you waste your time on that? That sounds cute. Like, I didn't go to Stanford. I didn't go to Berkeley. Like, I had everything fighting against me. The only thing I did was I'm Canadian and, and somebody in their life was Canadian that they they liked. <laughs> and, uh, and when Paul said that, the next day I went to a coffee shop and somebody said, so what do you do? And I said, you know, I, I help startups with marketing. And the person goes, I'm a startup, help me. And like... <laughs> i was like oh my gosh yes finally (laughs) that there's something for us to dig into and that transformed everything i mean what happened is i eventually got introduced to a company that uh had just raised i think four million in funding they they were great technologists they they didn't really have a lot of experience in marketing and i went in because this is the cool part is because i was technical they didn't need to do anything like i could literally give me access to your system I can pull the data reports, I can call the customers, I can run the surveys, I can update your marketing funnels. Like I, I essentially growth hack their business and and I didn't charge them. I just said, look, I'm here. I wanna add as much value as I can to learn. I don't have a software company to learn with. Why don't I just spend two weeks and I, and I do these two week engagements for free. And mm-hmm. what happened is I did such a good job with the first few that they Told their investors because their investors were like, What's and this was also right, right after the boom. So I left, I moved there in September or the bust. I moved there September 2008. The crash happened in October, November, mm-hmm. and all companies had to figure out profitability as fast as possible. Right. So, like, there was this <laughs> big email that went around from this big VC firm called Sequoia called, um, you know, Good Times RIP. And, and I was the guy helping these companies figure out their customers and monetizing as fast as possible. And that's how I get to know all the investors. So I got invited to this dinner through a guy named Dave McClure, who right now is going through some very challenging times online. He Mm -hmm. he unfortunately did some bad stuff. And, um, it was at one of those dinners that I met Joe and Brian. So like it's really getting yourself in that circle and adding value and all those things. I mean, the, the Richard Branson one's a fun story. So, um, I organize founder dinners. So I love entrepreneurs. I literally, uh, this Friday I've got one with like 10 founders uh, coming to my house. I do them at my house. Um, uh, Sometimes I do them at dinners if I'm traveling. Sometimes when I'm traveling I do breakfast, lunch, and dinner, so that's how (laughs) much I believe it. You you can go look, search founder dinners, Dan Martell, and you'll see my YouTube video on it. But, um, so I had a guy introduce me to a friend that was moving from San Francisco, from New York to San Francisco. And I invited him to one of my founder's dinners. Like, I don't think too much about it. I literally have a Google or an Evernote file with a bunch of names. And I just like kind of curate people together. And I didn't even get a chance really to talk to the guy that much, right? Because there was like eight people there. And uh, it turns out that he met some of the people because he just moved there. He didn't know a soul. Met some of his best friends. They ended up like being buddies. Found a co-founder, started a company. And just really always looked back at that moment as like a really incredible thing that I did for. Him. And uh, 4 years later, his company's growing massively. Um, and uh, he just happened to be friends with Richard Branson and Richard said, "Hey, if you guys want to do like a ski trip at my really? house in Switzerland um, with like, you know, 14 people, uh, wow. I'd love to meet people that are focused on helping entrepreneurs." And, you know, I was building Clarity at the time, which was in a marketplace for entrepreneurs to get advice over the phone. And he, I still remember the email. Like, it was, it, was, it was in May. And it was like, hey, Dan, I'm doing this thing at Richard Branson's house. He'll be there uh, in April. Do you want to come? Wow. And I was looking around like, am I being punked right now? Like, <laughs> what the? Like, I was like, there's no way. And I was like, yeah, man, my, my calendar is free. Let me know the details.
0: Yeah, it's <laughs> incredible.
1: And then it was even funny. Like, I didn't even want to, like, I booked flights. And like I pretty much emailed them like 2 weeks out, 10 days out, 7 days, and then I was like, should I get on the flight like is it still going on? Is He's it like, still yeah, ca- yeah, we're. <laughs> yeah, and it was it was crazy. So like, you know, I don't know what the lesson is, it's just I think if you just focus on being a good person that adds value first, um, good things are going to happen.
0: Yeah, I guess it's also just getting out there. Like people kind of sit behind their Computer and expect things to just happen.
1: Yeah, and I, I, I think you know, that's the mistake. You need to get out there. And I've always been like, you know, one thing I learned when I land in San Francisco is they, they care a lot about what people think and their opinions. And, uh, you know, so I started blogging, right? Just because I was like, well, this is how you share your ideas. So I just started blogging about the things I was doing with these companies. And I started getting a reputation. All of a sudden, now my reputation, they can, like, if I emailed somebody cold and they saw my my URL, they could click it and go read some stuff and get an idea of my thinking. So they knew I wasn't just like a ding dong, right? And like, <laughs> there's just a lot. I mean, it's true, though. Like, I get those emails. You get them, too. Like, people, you're like, who are you? There's nothing online about you. I remember this one guy. He's like, yeah, I sold my company, blah, blah, blah. I, I was like, uh, I cannot find anything about you. Facebook, mm-hmm. LinkedIn, et cetera. Like yeah. can you please give me a bit more context? I don't want to be a dick but like you don't no, look it's, real. It's yeah. it's
0: so true. Like at the end of the day when you when you get productive and you become busy, you get emails from people who they don't value your time. They expect you to just research them and and if there's nothing straight away that you can see that's you know that oh, it's worth connecting with you or it's worth getting on a phone with you then you know there's just so much time in the day you know uh, so if somebody's not like straight away just jumping like if i if i see somebody's cold emailing me and saying hey i want to come on as a guest on your show and i google them and there's nothing on them forget it right it's, it's exactly <laughs> on
1: your yeah 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 oh yeah i'm gonna have 100%. you on the show everybody's chomping at the bits to learn more about you it's like come on
0: yeah what's your mission right now dan what's next
1: for you um my my mission right now is to help a million SaaS founders build profitable businesses so they can serve their families. That's that's like my mission. I, it's yeah, just like a every random morning I look at it. Uh no it's not random by any means. Uh there's actually not that many SaaS businesses in the world right now. There's probably about 50,000 and that's being pretty optimistic. Mm-hmm. Um so I wanted to set kind of a goal that was kind of impossible. So a million is the number. Some people are like I want to help 100 million entrepreneurs start companies. It's like yeah that's cool. Um, there's actually <laughs> probably 400 million entrepreneurs in the world, right? There's 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 so many. Not, but I'm in the long game, so so I actually coach B two B SaaS founders and uh, software as a service founders. And that's what I do. And I do that uh, through a program called SAS Academy. And we get together three times a year, San Francisco, New York, Toronto. I bring in incredible entrepreneurs. And it's where I get, and I still invest a lot. So like that's, you know, what do I do from a revenue point of view? Well, I invest um, in tech companies and some real estate projects. But, um, you know, my my passion is that. And then on the community side, I have a program called Founders Mm -hmm. um, that helps at-risk youth Uh, build their confidence through building businesses so that's kind of like yeah teenagers like me like literally just like me i go in those rooms with these kids and i laugh because i'm like you think you're so fucking cool and (laughs) i know exactly what you're thinking and i'm going to take that energy and that 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 anger and we're going to create magic and it's that is the that is the i love that
0: that's incredible what's the best way my listeners can get in touch with you dan
1: um, if anybody wants to email me, they can email me at dan at danmartell.com, two L's and Martell. Mm-hmm. Uh, Stephanie will filter all emails, so just provide some context where you heard me from and, and how I can help. Um, and then uh, dan at danmartell, two and is my site. I link off to my YouTube. I think people, if they're interested in business and growth, and uh, so pretty much I talk about personal development, business growth, and software uh, on my YouTube a channel and i publish every monday and i've been doing it now for two years 100 plus videos which mm-hmm. i never thought i would keep doing and i'm pretty much committed to doing forever because i really really enjoy it and um Brilliant. and then on social media at damn martell everywhere
0: cool so all those links will be in the show notes guys so head over to danielgeffen.com forward slash 104 dan thanks so much for letting me pick your brain and thank you to all my fellow brain pickers i'm looking forward to the day when i'll be picking your brain